0: Hey, everybody, this is Derek King with the Derek King Sports Show. We all know how important it is to stay protected. Sometimes life throws you a curve, and that's why you need Allstate. The Wiley Group has two locations in Festus and Arnold to serve you. They offer home, auto, boat, motorcycle, business life insurance investments and so much more they offer a customized approach that is unique to your situation to make sure that you your family and assets are properly protected they also offer great rates and savings give sean and his team a call today at 636-764-6294 they'll help you with an insurance quote right over the phone even give them a call if you just want to talk sports (laughs) they do that too We all have busy lives, so you can also email Sean at SeanWiley at Allstate.com and talk to him about your coverage options. And remember, you're in good hands with Allstate. Welcome to Yanker Jack with Brian Swole. Dynamite drop in money. That broadcast school has really paid off. Part of the Gateway City Sports Podcast Network.
1: Hey, hey, hey. Welcome back to Yakker Jacks, y'all. This is Brian Swope, your host, Papa Swope on Twitter, coming to you from the Gateway City Sports Podcast Studios. How are y'all doing today? I hope you are doing as well as me. I am sitting back, sipping on some chai tea and uh, eating a pumpkin pie. So uh, you can do that. When you got your own show, you can do that. You can sit down, you, you can eat pumpkin pie and and you know drink drink whatever you want to and nobody cares because it's your show you can do whatever you want so kids there's your life goals today man go and uh, get yourself your own show and and do whatever you want Um, no I'm just kidding you guys hey I'm so glad you're here Uh, welcome back and uh, be sure that you get over there to gatewaycitysports.com check out all of our great content and our other shows we've also got the Derek King Sports Show, we've got two for three, and we've got the Team of Rivals podcast, and our newest podcast, Talking Sports on the Bleachers, uh, with my friend Don Glenn. So I hope that you guys get over there, check that stuff out, and that you, um, you enjoy what you're, what you're reading, enjoy what you're reading, enjoy what you're listening to. Uh, we enjoy doing it for you, enjoy putting this stuff out. Um, so let's get to it this morning. Um, speaking of life goals, kids, um, how about the blues? The Blues are doing, I mean, really well right now. It's amazing to me with all of, you know, the, the injuries and, you know, COVID protocol crap and all of that stuff. Um, the Blues have, they've hung in there really well. Um, you know, we made this, uh, made this point yesterday um, about the Blues' current record. Uh, right now, uh, their record at home is 10-3-2. Now, in recent years, home has kind of been the bugaboo. For whatever reason, the the Blues never really seem to have like home ice advantage. That seems to be changing this year, um, and, and I think it's amazing uh, that the Blues are playing so well. I mean, and they're playing their best hockey right now. Uh, now away, you know, they're still six, five, and three after tonight or after last night's win in uh, in Dallas, but. I gotta say, I really like what we're seeing from this team. Uh, they went through kind of a lull there, where you know, it they went, you know, through a rough patch. Every team does that; it happens to everybody. But the Blues have really come on strong. And to me, like you've got to, you've got to give a ton of credit, uh, not just to to Baruby and, and the coaching staff uh, for for getting these guys together. You know, Baruby talked. Um, last night I said you know the the key for them really just been dumbing down the game it's a simple game um, take puck put it in the net you know when when you uh, you when you break it down that simply um then it it allows you to loosen up and relax and you know be able to Uh, to to just play the game just play the game the way that you know how to play it and not try to stress not try to do too much you know just let the game come to you and that's exactly what the Blues are doing right now and and it seems like it doesn't matter you know next man up and it it's just it it can go you don't have to you don't have to look any further really than than two guys in particular Nathan Walker who comes up and gets a hat-trick, first game up in the the league. And then Charlie Lindgren. I I cannot say enough about Charlie Lindgren right now. The guy has been just a monster in the net for the Blues. And, you know, it's amazing. Like, I don't know where the Blues find these guys, but it just seems like they find a player, he comes up, and they just perform well. I, I mean... Had anyone else heard of Charlie Lindgren prior to the season? Because I hadn't, and so it, it, to me it was kind of the same way. Like when Bennington came up, I hadn't heard of Bennington. You know, I, I wasn't paying you know much attention to the Blues at the time. Um, but even even then, like I hadn't heard Bennington's name, and he came up and you know walked all the way to the Stanley Cup. And, uh, and you know, and and Lindgren has come in, and I think it's just been a shutdown force. I mean, he's made some. Fantastic saves um, last night against the Stars, and I I couldn't. I mean, I I just I could watch that all season long. If the Blues keep playing like this, man, they're they're going to be a dangerous team, very dangerous team. And the thing about it is, they're not fully healthy right now. Like that that's what's so f- phenomenal to me is that they are doing this well, and they're not completely healthy. They they got Falcon and, and Bozak back last night but Kairou like, was out for a second game in a row. Bennington was still out. Huso was still out. I mean, you, you've got Perron still out. I mean, so you've got all of these guys, like key players to this team, and they are still just rolling, you know, rolling uh, these wins off and, you know, firing on all cylinders. And, you know, guys, I, I got to say, you know, as a Blues fan, I'm excited. I'm excited, uh, and you should be too. Like, if, if you are a St. Louis hockey fan, if you are the, a fan of the Blues, you got to feel really really good about where your team stands right now. I mean, and if you're the players, man, the players have got to be playing with a, a really high level of confidence, you know, and um you, when you're playing as well as they're playing, you you want I, I want to be, you know, cautiously optimistic um, because we know <laughs> we know our our city's love affair with hockey and um how many times we felt like we really got something, and, and then, you know, just to kind of see it, you know, fall apart a little bit, but I really, honestly, I don't see that happening. Like, I don't see that happening, unless, you know, there's just tons and tons of injuries, and the wheels just completely start to fall off of this thing. Uh, this is a Blues team that is really, really dangerous. Um, you know, Kairu has come into his own. Um, Tarasenko is back to, you know, the Vladdy of old. He's Fully healthy, fully recovered. He looks like he's having fun playing his best hockey. And, and Pavel Buchnevich, Oh my gosh! Like okay, so the Russian line guys has been lights out, like lights out. And, and you know, I don't, I don't think you should mess with that line at all. I know Barube likes to uh, mix and match some things, and you know, kind of try some some different different stuff to you know get some guys going and to spark some stuff. But man, you look at that uh, that Russian line. Um, you know, you got uh, Bucinevich, uh, Tarasenko, and, uh, and Barbashev. They are playing so well and at such a high level right now. They may be the best line on the team, if not one of the best lines in the league. And, and the way that they're playing is they know each other so well. It seems like they just know where each other's at. And, um, you know, they're so unselfish. And, and I think almost to a fault at sometimes like I, I think there's times that any one of those guys could shoot the puck and they don't, you know, they just kind of wait, wait and they pass, or they look for a better opportunity or, or they try to give the opportunity to their teammate, which is great. I, I think it's amazing, but um, you know, just unselfish, straightforward, what's the best way to get the puck in the net kind of a, kind of a game. Uh, you know, like, like chief said, you know, just keep it simple, dumb it down. Um, you know, and it's not that, you know, I'm not saying that, that the Russians are, are, are dumb. Don't, don't, don't get that from this at all. I mean, they're intelligent. They're highly, their hockey smarts is off the charts. And you can tell by the way they play, but it's, it's not so much that uh, about that. It's the fact that they're, they're playing the game simply. They're letting it come to them. You know, they're, they're not trying to do too much with the puck. They're just, you know, pass it to the next guy, you know, let leave the, leave the open shot it for somebody else if they can get it. I mean, just the passing has been phenomenal. I mean, just watching the, like, I, love watching the the Russian line play. I I just do they're to me the most fun uh aspect of this team right now. Uh outside of, you know, Charlie Lindgren coming in and doing really well. I love watching the Russian line right now, guys, and it has been it's been phenomenal. So keep keep rolling blues. Keep go, keep those wins coming because um you got a fan base that is super excited about what's going on and um you know we'll, we'll have to get Laura back on here um you know a- after the after the new year and um check in again with her and and uh, on on the blues and um you know just kind of kind of go over some stuff because there was a, there was a time there you know we you know, we started off the season really strong and then there was a time there that you know there was a lull and i started to get worried but you know watching this team now um you know they've played some tough games they've they've played some tough games um they but they played florida really well um, they played Tampa Bay really well. They they even played you know Carolina well. I mean they're they're playing well against these you know upper tier teams, and they're doing it you know without a you know without being at full strength. And so th- this is this is an exciting team to watch, and it could be a whole stinking lot of fun um, you know come playoff time. And I I for one I, I can't wait. I, I'm excited. I. I can't wait to see you know how this team does in the playoffs because I think they've got a chance to really, really make a deep run. Um, let's move on a little bit. I am... All right. I know I've been down on them quite a bit, and I've picked on them a lot, but I'm not going to stop. Mizzou Sports has got... Um, specifically the men's basketball team, and the men's football team like they there you got to do something you got to do something if i'm if i'm reed francois the the athletic director i am looking at both programs and i think there's a i think there's more promise i think there's a lot more promise to be quite honest with the football team than the basketball team um but let's pick on coach drink for a second um you know, it, all of a sudden, you know, he, he says, you know, heading into the bowl game that there's going to be an open competition at quarterback, and any one of the three guys can play, just whoever, you know, they, they feel gives them the best shot. They should have been doing this since uh, Bazelak got hurt. Like, they, they sh- there should have been an open competition because Bazelak was awful. I mean, just flat awful. He, he was horrible. I mean, there's just no other way to put it. I mean, if they didn't have Tyler Beatty... This team would just be in the tank because they're so awful. You know, Basilac just cannot. He's he's not good, guys. He's not good. You know, and, and I would rather I would rather see you know Brady Cook or Tyler Macon get a shot. Let them do something. You know, do anything to try to spark this offense a little bit. You can't put everything on Tyler Beatty's shoulders. And going into this, you know, bowl game against Army, I mean, I know Army, you know, got upset by Navy, uh, but this is still a good Army team. I mean, they're a solid team. And, you know, I'm... Honestly, guys, I am expecting uh, Mizzou to go into this game and to just get absolutely steamrolled. I think Army's going to run over them like a tank over a mouse. You know, I I just... I really do. I, I cannot see any scenario where... If if they keep going and doing things the way that they've been doing it, if they maintain their status quo, Mizzou is just going to get their butts handed to them in this game. I mean, there, there's just no doubt about it. Um, but that's the optimistic side. <laughs> that, that's the good news. The bad news is the basketball team just, it, it's, it's an embarrassment. There's just no better way to put it. You know, and... and it, it, it's solely on the coach. You know, and I, I, I like Conzo Martin. I think he's a great guy. You know, I really, really think that he's, you know, a great, he's great for mentoring these young men to being men. But when it comes to the actual ins and outs of the game and getting these guys ready and prepared to play, I don't know if he's got it. I really don't. And I say that because of what we're seeing on the court. I mean, nobody expected them to beat Kansas. I don't think anybody expected them to beat Kansas. But I don't think they expected them to get blown out by like 50-some points. I mean, that was just, that was an absolute, utter embarrassment. To see where this program has fallen from, you know, its glory days. I mean, Mizzou basketball used to be something to be feared. You know, you used to see Mizzou on the, on the schedule, and you'd be a little bit scared because you know that's a, a team that was dangerous, and you, you knew that was a game that you, you could lose. It was a game that you, you had to take seriously. Anymore, when you're used, losing to UMKC, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? This, this is where we've fallen to. We're getting blown out by almost 50 points to Kansas, and we're losing to UMKC you got to be kidding me. This is just awful, it, and it's, it's embarrassing to watch. It is just flat-out embarrassing. This program is an embarrassment to the school. It's an embarrassment to the entire state of Missouri. And if, if the athletic director doesn't do something about this, then it, there, it's just going to look bad. I, I've seen so many guys. I, I cannot tell you how many even alumni and supporters of, of the school that have said until there's a change i'm not i'm not going to a game i'm not spending another dime on this team and you know i don't blame them i really don't you know and in, in a lot of ways i feel like uh mizzou fans are speaking with their pocketbooks in much the same way that cardinals fans spoke with theirs you know last season you know when cardinals fans were were not coming to games the seats were empty and um you know, when they started winning again, when they started putting a good product on the field, you started to see Bush Stadium fill up more. But you're not seeing that um, at Mizzou games. And, and you you can complain you know all you want about not having fan support and blah, 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 yada, 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 this, that, and the other. But what do you want the fans to support? What do you want them to support? You, you want them to support a team that goes out and just looks flat? And gets their butts handed to them every game? No. No, you don't want to support that. I don't want to support that. I don't want to watch it. You know, it, it's just it's ridiculous to think that we are an SEC school, which, again, I question that. But we are an SEC school, and we are losing. Losing to less than a mid-major. I mean, it, what, what is wrong? with this program what is wrong with this program it's the coach it's the coach they need a better coach someone who can recruit you know a higher higher talent and someone who can actually coach the game and get these guys ready to play and again like I said I like Conzo Martin I like him a lot as a person but I just question him as a coach I just do and uh, I, there's just no other way to put it No other way to put it. Well, guys, uh, I'm going to switch gears here. I'm excited because it is time now for the Holy Smokers guest line. When it's time to add a little spice to your life, make your next grilling adventure a spiritual experience with Holy Smokers Rub Company. They have several different flavors to choose from, and each one is specifically blended for a taste sensation that you will pray never ends. The best part is that all proceeds go towards helping families who are going through the process of adoption. So look them up on Facebook. Be sure to use coupon code GCS10. That's GCS, the number 10, for 10% off your order. Holy Smokers Rub Company, bless your taste buds. I am excited today to have with me from VivaAlbertos.com, Jason Hill. Jason, how are you doing today?
2: Doing great, Brian. Good to be with you, man.
1: Yeah, awesome. Glad, glad you could join us. We'd like to talk about a, a few things uh, while we got you here. Um, but uh, I think one of the first things I want to talk about is what is up with this lockout? You have, how long do you see this thing lasting?
2: Um, as long as it has to, <laughs> uh, I wish that I could put some kind of odds or dates out there, but you know, to be honest, this thing seems like it might be, uh, in place for the long haul. And, um, so it really just depends on whether the players and the owners view spring training as some kind of deadline or whether they view the season as a deadline or, oh, I don't know, the 4th of July as a deadline, something is going to have to get them motivated and it's, um, it's not, um, not winter time, at least. That's not going to do it. Yeah.
1: Yeah. No, I actually uh, I, I can't remember if it was I think Kyle Reese was on here and we talked about it a little bit about how um, how the covid shortened seasons sort of seems like it might have been a dry run for uh, for this year. Um, and if that's yeah. any indication of how things are going to go, uh, we, we might as well just, you know, hunker down for the long haul because it, it may be a while.
2: Yeah, it is sort of disturbing, isn't it, that that they already have a tried, and I don't know about true, but a tried plan for how to have baseball in a short season. They just did that, and so um, they kind of know how to turn that around real fast. Hopefully that won't be the case, but it does seem like it takes these deadlines or these final moments to push both the owners and the players into something resembling compromise. So, you know, until that happens, I, I just don't see either side caving on whatever issues it is they seem to have.
1: Yeah. No, I I agree. Both both sides are stubborn and understandably so. Um, you know, my my one hope in all this and I've been saying this uh, repeatedly is I hope that if nothing else they figure out something for these minor league guys. Um I, I think yeah. that they there's I guess substandard might be an extreme term, but I I think, you know, the substandard living that they've had um is just is awful. We had a uh, Um, Leslie Holiday on here over the summer and and she was telling us about what it was like for her and Matt whenever, you know, he was coming up with the Rockies and, you know, a lot of people don't realize that, you know, yeah, these guys that make it big, you know, they make it big, but before then there's a lot of grinding and a lot of, you know, just really tough times.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And I think um, now I wouldn't be the expert on this one, but from what I can tell, There was some kind of an agreement put into place um, just before the end of the season or right around the end of the season where they were going to be improving the housing situation for minor leaguers next year, um, requiring uh, teams to offer housing. But, you know, that's that's seems like the bare minimum to be. So,
1: yeah, no, I agree. I I think it was for for guys who are not already on the 40 man, if I'm not mistaken. Um, That's right. So yeah. let's, uh, let's pivot here a little bit and talk more specifically about the Cardinals. Um, I noticed something. Uh, I, I read a piece, and I, I, thought it was, um, I thought it was really good. And it's something that I, I got to say I, I 100% agree with. Um, but uh, we're looking at the DH is almost certainly going to come to the National League this year. And I, I don't think there's any way that we can stop that. So looking across the landscape, you know, once the lockout ends and, and how the Cardinals are going to finish rounding out their roster, uh, DH is a big spot where I think they could make, make a big move. But that move might actually be an internal move. Um, and I'm talking about the piece by, uh, by John LaRue, um, you know, yeah. putting up Juan Yepes. And uh, what, are, what are your thoughts on that? And um, how, how do you see that possibly playing out?
2: Yeah, that's an area where John uh, and I definitely agree, and we've both written some stuff about that. The thing that I keep coming around to is that even though Juan Yapez doesn't yet have a single at-bat in the major leagues, it's really hard to find an offensive weakness in his game. He hits right-handers. He hits left-handers. Um, he might have one of the better you know, batting tools, not just power but just just the just ability to put the bat on the ball in the minor league system and that comes with in, insane power and great batting eye and he limits strikeouts it, it, i mean he just sort of does everything and yeah there's a chance that that won't translate to the majors uh we've seen it before where guys with phenomenal stats in triple-a at a fairly young age wasn't weren't able to do that in the major leagues but you know, it seems to me like you've got to give them the chance. And even if it is primarily early against left-handers, uh, give them the opportunity to earn that spot because the Cardinals, well, let's be honest, they have the money <laughs> to go out and sign <laughs> a big <laughs> a big impact bat at DH. If they want to, they probably don't want to. And so the best way for them to get that production from a potential DH spot probably is Yepes. It's certainly not someone like, Colin Moran um, or, you know, uh, Corey Seager um, or Kyle Seager, you know, just one of those other players. It's just, it's probably not going to be one of those retreads. But Yepes could really do some damage um, and give them some budget space in other areas. And I, I don't know why they wouldn't just let him roll with that, especially with some internal options. I mean, What's the worst-case scenario there that they give you Pez a chance and then they platoon him with Lars Newt I'd like to see more Lars Newt anyway.
1: Yeah, well, and especially when you look at, um, you know, what both of those guys did in the Arizona Fall League. Uh, bo- yeah. Both were very successful this year in the Fall League. And, you know, looking at the landscape, there was one guy that looking – okay, let's – two. One, for nostalgic reasons. One, because I think he could actually be a good fit. Um, but yeah. the name Albert Pujols has been thrown around which right. I, I can see that. would love to see Albert retire as a Cardinal. Uh, but the other guy out there that I thought would be plausible is Kyle Schwarber. Right. Now, now, I don't think that they're going to do that because the price tag that comes with Schwarber is, is a lot, probably a lot more than what they want to spend. Um, but I think looking at Yepes, I mean, the guy, like you said, he, he hits the ball. And he can put the bat on the ball. And when he does, it is, I mean, light – Light tower power. I mean, it just—it's it, amazing. It's you know, easy power, easy power. Yeah, and there's yeah. This, just just a sweet sound <laughs> that comes off of off of his bat when he connects <laughs> with the ball. You know, and every everybody yeah. talks about you know that sound. Um, you know, the the late great Buck O'Neill, who was a scout for many years, who just you know went into the Hall of Fame. He would talk about that too—that like that sound coming off the bat. And uh, and to yeah. me, it seems like Yep when he hits it there. It's that sweet spot right there.
2: Yeah, that's kind of what convinced me, too, is that I, I, I'm more of a stats guy. You know, you had Kyle on last week or, or you know, last episode, and he, he's your minor league scout guy. Like, that's not me. But so I'm looking at the, at the stats all season. I'm seeing the highlights. I'm seeing the the gifts that Kyle posts and all these things. I'm like, man, this guy looks really good. And then I started watching him more. And then that AFL performance, Arizona Falding. And I, I hope your listeners understand I'm not making this comparison between a young Pujols and a young (laughs) Juan Yapez, But if you were watching that spring training when Pujols came up and you saw his swing and the way the ball just disappeared off of his bat, when you watch Juan Yapez, it looks like he's not even trying and the ball is just sailing off into the night, gone into the distance. And that's talent you can't teach that's um, ability that you can't fake. Uh, if it's half of that at the major leagues, he's going to be a very productive player. And you talk about Schwarber, I, I like Schwarber. Schwarber would be a great fit for this lineup. He's probably exactly what we need. Um, it would not shock me at all. I'm not predicting this, but it wouldn't shock me at all if Juan Pes has just about as good a season as Kyle Schwarber next year.
1: Yeah. No, I, not I, next
2: year, the next year. Well,
1: you know. <laughs> right. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm going to put you on the spot here, though, and make you draw a comparison. If you had to compare Yepes to one player, like you just pick out one guy that you think, you know, he he most resembles, who would that be?
2: Um, probably. <sighs> well, I, I, I'll give you the answer that I've been using. And I wrote an article about you, Paz about two or three weeks ago. And the answer I used there was Alan Craig. Okay. And Craig was um, very similar in the sense that he was a low-K, high-contact um, high uh, power hitter uh, who, who sort of came up as a corner infielder. But no one really viewed him as a third baseman uh, in the major league level. And so he danced around a little bit in the high minors. And then particularly when he arrived at the major leagues, he, he danced around a little bit between first and right and left. And for some reason, a little bit of second base, you know, because, <laughs> you know, that was, uh, that was Tony Larusa. but, um, you know, um, as far as an offensive profile, Craig is a good fit. Um, I think that yapes would walk a little bit more than Craig and this is kind of hard to believe, but if you look back in the minor league numbers, um, Alan Craig um, was a consistent, you know, 290 to 300 batting average guy. He could really make good contract and, uh, contact and send the ball the other way. And, and so we haven't seen that kind of um, a, a hitter, a power hitter in the Cardinals system in a while from a corner, you know, infield, corner outfield, DH type prospect. And so Craig is the guy that I would kind of turn to. I will say, though, that I like the way the ball comes off Yepez's bat more than I like the way that it came off of Craig's. Craig might be a better contact hitter. He doesn't walk as much, but I think Yepez probably has a little bit more natural power. And maybe some of that's due to this, you know, exit velocity, launch angle revolution that Craig probably could have gotten a little bit more out of his swing back then if some of those teachings were in place now. If he had the hitting lab and things like that, but Yepez has those advantages, and that's made a little bit of a difference. And so, yeah, Alan Craig would be the guy I'd point to.
1: Yeah. yeah. No, and I think one of the great things, and, and I know you're not necessarily the prospect guy, um, but your, uh, your last article for Viva Alberto's um, that I saw was uh, regarding the Cardinals prospects and, and yeah. the top yeah. guys that we have in the organization right now. Um, and, you know, Yipes is, what, I think 10th on the list by Baseball America? Um, he, uh, ninth, he's, he, nine, I'm checking, ninth I'm, or I'm tenth?
2: Pull it up and check, but I think that was ninth. Yeah. yeah,
1: he he, but he is he is in the top ten, but not near the top. And the names that you would have suspected were at the top uh, are not. Uh, and I'm speaking specifically of Liberatore and, and Gorman. And yeah, what what kind of an impact do you think these guys provided? We have a full season. you, you think they're going to make that impact this season? Um, and if if so, where is that going to be at? Because I look at the, the roster right now, and you know, for a guy like Gorman, I, mean, I can easily see a fit for liberator. easily. Yes. But for Gorman, it, it looks a little—I don't know—looks look, a little tough. Depends on what you're going to do with shortstop and second base.
2: Right, right. And I, um, I think um, first of all, I, I want to kind of clear up a little misconception that I think is out there, and I think Kyle has done a great job of this too. Actually, probably I've gotten most of this argument from him, to be honest. <laughs> but there is there is a perception out there that because Nolan Gorman didn't come into AAA Memphis and light the skies on fire the way that Yepes did, for example, that Gorman had something of a disappointing season. And I think you could say the same thing about Libertor. That yeah, he was good. He made the the uh, you know futures game and. Uh, had some moments, but at the end of the day, he had an ERA around four and some, you know, an FIP feeling independent pitching is another stat that we look at. And it was about the same. And you kind of say, Oh, that's a good pitcher, but that's not a great pitcher. That's not an ACE caliber guy. You know, first of all, I don't know that anyone ever really viewed Libertor as an ACE caliber guy. Uh, Jack Flaherty, for example, has considerably better stuff than him, but to come in at, at their age, 21 years old, to skip double-A entirely in Libertor's case and to miss a whole season in in Gorman's case and to work their way to triple-A and then more than hold their own there, it was an incredibly professional and incredibly impressive performance from two young guys. And so the fact that they've dropped a little bit in the rankings, that's only because Jordan Walker is an absolutely amazing prospect with talent that's just oozing off of him. Yeah. Uh, and Gorman, um, I think personally, Gorman could benefit from just a little bit more time in AAA. And I think a good example of why is Dylan Carlson. Carlson, I argued, it was time for him to be up and it was time for him to, to learn at the major league level. And I thought the 2020 season, 60 games, was a great opportunity for that to happen because if you, if you push that to the next season, then you're probably delaying him again to get that arbitration, you know, that extra year kind of thing and stuff like that. And then he's fighting for competition against established guys. But 50, 60, 70 games in a half a season coming out of AAA is a good amount of volume for a 21-year-old. And so if we're looking at someone like Nolan Gorman, he's kind of in the same situation as Carlson, where we're not sure about the arbitration. The Cardinals might want to try to push his debut back a few months to get an extra year. And then can he handle 162 games in the major starting at second base or third base if something terrible happened or the outfield or even DH? Well, probably not at that level while providing really high-quality major league innings or uh, plate appearances. But he can't get to that level of experience against major league hitters or pitchers until he faces major league pitchers. And so 50, 60, 70 games at some point this season in a backup role, in a utility role, uh, rotating between third base, first base, second base, left field, right field, the DH. There's a lot of ways to get Nolan Gorman at bats and not force the team into a situation where they have to rely on him to perform offensively at age 22. Because there's really just a very small number of players who have been able to arrive in the league at that age, even with great skill sets and perform in a high level. And unless he turns into one of these guys, um, you just, you just don't expect it for a year or two. And again, back to Carlson, his first year was terrible. in Yeah. But he had to have that terrible time to know what to do the next year. This past year, he was pretty good. He was pretty good. I was really happy with Carlson's performance. We still didn't see Dylan Carlson, but it's there. And this year I fully expect him to go, you know, Full on Lance Berkman. We'll see. <laughs> but, <laughs> but, you know, it takes time for those players to to do those kinds of things. And they have to, they have to fail a little bit. And uh, letting Gorman have the opportunity to fail a little bit at the major league level with Tommy Edmond around and Edmundo Sosa around and maybe even a Colin Moran around um, is going to help him and not hurt the team all at the same time.
1: Yeah. So if you're listening, uh, what we got from that is that uh, Jason is saying that uh, Carlson is going to be full on Lance Berkman next year. So uh, yeah. if he if he is, we're going to give you credit, Jason. And if he's not, then uh, we're yeah. all going to uh, rake you over. The I quote. will say
2: you can go over to Viva and you can you can just do a little search for J.P. Hill, uh, Lance Berkman or Dylan Carlson, And that, those comparisons will come up. Um And there's a very, very small list of players um, who have reached the majors in the Cardinals uniform at uh, Dylan Carlson's age or younger and performed better than Carlson. I mean, the the list is extremely short. And then you start doing comparisons between him and other. uh, I I stuck with switch hitters because that seemed like the best comparison for Carlson. you don't you know you start looking at other switch hitters and his type of body style his weight his profile and the list becomes really short and it ranges from maybe lance berkman on the high end to someone like chili davis on the low end and i don't know about you but i grew up thinking chili davis was a pretty good player
1: yeah no absolutely
2: absolutely. yeah you know that's your low end projection you're you're doing you're doing pretty well Well, i'll tell you what the comparison Um, i've I've made my main my, my my midline was someone like um Reggie Smith. I'd have to go back and look a, a player from the sixties that I really like, but I, I'd have to go back and look that up. But, uh, but even those guys, they didn't do it at age 22 and age 23. It was, it was 23, 24 before Berkman was any good at all. And same with Chili Davis and same with some of these other players. It, it just takes time for a player's body to mature, for them to figure out what, um, what opposing pitchers are going to do to them, make those adjustments and, and then you know, kind of settle into who they really
1: are. Yeah, I think the comparison I've made um, for Carlson in the past has been Carlos Beltran.
2: Yeah, it,
1: it, I think yeah. the especially and and maybe that comes more from uh, from his stance. His stance is very similar. He's got a yeah. very similar swing to Beltran. Um, you know, probably not as much speed. Um, yeah. But if you even if you look at, at Beltran, who came up you know, fairly young. It was a, a few years before he really, yeah. you know, established right. himself as well. So, I mean, yeah. I- even if Carlson can get close to that, I mean, I think we're looking at a very good player um, right. in, in the future. And I think he's got all of the talent in the world to do it. Um, it's just a matter yeah. of, you know, putting it together and, and making that happen. Um, right. So looking at the roster here, um, you know, how, how do you see this, um, this year's roster playing out? Like if, you had to, if you had to make a projection... Um who who do you think is, is going in um starting this year?
2: I think most of the starting lineup is probably intact. There's there's at least six or seven guys that are pretty much written in stone. And that would of course be Yadier Molina at catcher. Unless, you know, barring injury, he's gonna start um there as often as he possibly can. Paul Goldschmidt, first base, that's pretty much a lock. We'll skip second base for a second. We'll definitely skip shortstop for a second. <laughs> Third base, Nolan Arenado is, um, again, a lock. Uh, I think I think your outfield is pretty well set. Um, O'Neill's going to start and, and maybe be the best hitter on the team this year. He was pretty close to that last year. Hopefully, he'll continue that. Bader doesn't look like he has any competition in center, nor does he need to have any with his defensive performance and the way his bats come on the last couple of years. And then Carlson and Wright. Maybe, maybe an outside shot if Lars can continues what he did at the Arizona Fall League and blows up in spring, Maybe Harrison Bader, Dylan Carlson start losing a little bit of playing time to Newt Bar, but I really don't see that happening. Um, so, so those are pretty well said. And then you've got second base and you've got shortstop. I, I, I think leading into the season, at least where we are right now, I'm having a hard time believing that Tommy Edmond isn't the starter at shortstop. Um, unless the arbitration system changes completely or Nolan Gorman just blows up in spring, which he absolutely is capable of doing, Um, I think that uh, Tommy Edmund will be the starter at second base. And then it sure looks like they're leaning into uh, a Paul DeYoung bounce-back season, at least for now, at short. Um, But I would say probably most likely that position is going to be a platoon for a while. Uh, Both DeYoung and Sosa provide pretty good defense. Sosa provides excellent defense. Neither of them really have that bat that you want in the lineup but until someone pushes them or until the Cardinals decide to spend money on Trevor story, um, that's what we're, that's what we're looking at, at least for the first couple months of the season. And then it, and I heard you guys talking about this with Kyle and I a hundred percent agree with what you guys were saying and what Kyle was saying. And then you have to start looking at a scenario where Tommy Edmund moves to shortstop because you know, it just, where else are you going to put Gorman? You can't put Gorman at short, and you've got to get that bat in the lineup at some point. And sliding over to shortstop actually, I think, makes Tommy Edmond into—he's a pretty productive player as it is, but a pretty valuable player playing shortstop.
1: Yeah, and I think the point that that Kyle made, and I agree with it 100%, is you got a guy who won a Gold Glove at second base. Move him yeah. over to short, see how he does. At the very yeah. least, like what what's the worst thing that happens? You move a well, Gold Glove know, second baseman back to second base
2: because he- he played shortstop when DeYoung was out with COVID in 2020, Edmond did. And he was fine. He was good there. His defensive yeah. metrics, you know, shine there at shortstop, so we know he can play the position. Um, yeah.
1: Yeah. No, I, I, think that's, I think you're spot on there. Um, are you surprised, pivoting, pivoting here just a bit, um, since, we, since you mentioned shortstops, are you surprised that the Cardinals haven't been – more active or more connected um to the to any of the shortstops on the market because to me i felt like it was just a matter of time before trevor story wound up on this team especially with uh you know his good friend nolan arenado already in the fold um you know to me it just that seemed sort of like a no-brainer but um apparently not (laughs) apparently i'm not thinking right what what do you think on that
2: well i i definitely see that um I definitely understand that mindset. And I was thinking that for a long time myself. So it, it surprises me, the fan, that there hasn't been much conversation between the Cardinals and story or much dialogue out there in the media about that being a possibility. As someone who's covered the Cardinals for a long time and done budgeting and, and roster analysis for a long time, it doesn't surprise me at all from a Cardinals perspective. And I'll just not to pick on them at all, but just give you a great example. Uh, heading into this season, we all knew that Miles Miklas and Carlos Martinez were huge risks at starting pitcher. But the Cardinals had them under contract. And if the Cardinals have someone under contract, they play that person. They they almost, almost never get out from underneath um, a contract that's reasonable when there's years remaining, unless the player is is up there. Like, like Dexter Fowler is a good example. I mean, he was just, you know, at that point, not going to be a value to them. So in until the young's value versus cost, um, forces them to make a move, they're going to ride with the guy that they have under contract. And like I said, that might not be that much longer because Tommy Edmonds got to play somewhere and Edmundo Sosa's there and this team wants to contend but this season in particular with the young coming off of an injury with Sosa's rise with Edmund as sort of a, a backup option that I don't even think they've even admitted to themselves as an option. Yeah. Um, you know, I just struggled to see them signing story story also has been declining the last couple of years. His offense isn't quite what it was. And you have that, you know, risk of, a further decline by removing him from Coors Field, which really fits his skill set playing there in, in Denver. And I think we saw a little bit of that with, with Arenado, that, that going from an extreme offensive environment like Coors all the way down to a terrible place to hit the baseball in St. Louis, you see a lot of a drop there. And how much would that be with Story? If, if, it's, a, if it's a huge amount, then Story suddenly doesn't become a $2, $25 million player. Suddenly he looks a lot like the young anyway and i can't make that leap i cannot argue that deyoung and story are the same player but if i had to spend 25 million dollars on a player maybe i would maybe i would see it that way well but and, it's not my money so i don't care
1: <laughs> and, and the dewitts have always been you know big on their own homegrown players and yeah. you know for for whatever reason they're going to stick by him you know through thick and thin no matter what and you know there's no make no mistake i mean deyoung has 30 home run power i mean he he could when he's healthy, and I think that's been the biggest problem for him, is that for the past three years we're talking about, well, he's been injured. There's this excuse. There's that excuse. You know, I think yeah. really what we need is we need one, one season of him being fully healthy. Um, you know, to give this a shot. And our our producer Gene is going to hate me for this, um, because he can't stand Paul DeYoung. But uh, <laughs> but I really think that if DeYoung has a shot, that he can he can do it, but he's going to have to look a little more inspired than he has, because last season, yeah. watching him wow. at the plate, he just looked like he was a guy that had someplace better to be.
2: It was a mess, yeah. I, I think he was lost at the plate. Um, some of it was some of it injury-related, I do think. Some of it was uh, some bad luck thrown in there. His season was a lot like Tyler O'Neill's season in 2020, where you look at it and you think, how could that guy be that bad? He, yeah. he can't be, you know? Um, but O'Neal, you kind of had that, that potential uh, and the muscles and things like that to look <laughs> at and the speed and the defense to bounce back to you. the young. We've got a little bit of his past history, but um, I do think probably one way or another, the young has um, three months to, to a full season. And then either the Cardinals are going to have to figure something else out or, or he's going to be the guy. And it's too bad that that sort of trial season has to come after the year that all of these shortstops are available because it sure would be nice to make that move now. And I think we all know a former Cardinals GM, Whitey Herzog, who would have made that move a year early as opposed to a year late. Um, But, you know, um, the Cardinals just aren't going to do that, especially with backups behind them. I will say besides Edmund and Sosa, though, it's not like the system has a ton of shortstops. Uh, Brendan Donovan could play shortstop a little bit, but he's not got a short-starting shortstop pedigree in him. And you've got Delvin Perez around and a couple other slap hitters. But, you know, until you dig way down into the system and Mason Wynn as a 19-year-old, you're not finding another everyday shortstop. So at some point, it's either going to be DeYoung or they're going to have to spend money. And their opportunity to spend money is now, and it looks like they're going to pass it up.
1: Yep. Well, it's not our money to spend, but if it was... (laughs) Well, yeah. Jason, I want to thank you so much for being here. We're, we're a little bit out of time, um, but I wanted to just give you an opportunity, let the listeners know where they can find you, where they can find your work.
2: Yeah, yeah, you can find me twice a week, Wednesdays and Saturdays at VivaAlbertos.com. Wednesday, I try to do some sort of analysis piece, and Saturday, we try to have a little bit more fun. Uh, and so, yeah, Wednesdays and Saturdays, com. All
1: right, and where can they find you on, on Twitter?
2: Oh, I don't know. It's like JP Hill underscore cards, <laughs> I think it's <laughs> what it is. I'm on Twitter, uh, but uh, I don't do Twitter real well. But uh, I'm there. You can find me
1: there. Awesome. Well, guys, again, this has been uh, Jason Hill with us. And uh, Jason is over at Viva Alberto. So if you get a chance, check out his work and uh, get, give him a shout out and let him know that you, that you like what he's doing because uh, they do some really good stuff over there. Um, so thanks again, Jason. Really appreciate you coming on today.
2: Yeah.
1: Thanks, man. Again, that was Jason Hill from Viva Alberto's on with us today. I just want to again say a a shout out to Jason. Thank you so much. Go seriously, guys, go check out the work that they do over at Viva Alberto's. Uh, They they do some really solid stuff. And you really, if you don't already follow them um, and, and check out their stuff, you are going, you are going to want to, because they do some really good work over there. And while you're at it, Again, don't forget to check out GatewayCitySports.com. Again, I cannot say it enough. We have new content coming out uh, on the regular, and uh, we're super excited about our lineup of shows, our podcasts. Um, don't forget, de- definitely check out Derek King's Sports Show. It goes live every Wednesday morning. And uh, we look forward to seeing you guys again. Thanks again so much for being here. Thanks for taking time out of your day uh, to listen to me yak on and on and on about sports because that's what we love to do here. We're sports fans, and we are in it For the fun of it because we love it we're passionate about this stuff and so i want to thank you for being passionate too and taking your time out of your day to be here with us and to spend it here so i'm looking forward to next week we are going to have my good friend dan buffa is going to join us and uh, we're going to talk a a little bit of of cardinals a little bit of blues and we may even get into a, a discussion about some Christmas movies, and maybe a certain one that is often debated whether or not it is or is not a Christmas movie. You know what I'm talking about. So we will see you back next week. Have a great rest of your week, and be good, be blessed. We'll see you then.